Hi, everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego, the podcast about the fascinating people in, around, and from San Diego. I'm your host, Christy Totten, and my guest this week is Dr. Lisa Will. Dr. Will is a professor of astronomy and physics at San Diego City College, and she's also the resident astronomer at the Fleet Science Center in Balboa Park. Dr. Will oversees not one, but two planetariums and just generally loves everything space-related and sci-fi related. It's her job to get people excited about science and she's really good at it. I have to say, I definitely walked away from this interview wanting to learn more. Here's our conversation. Dr. Lisa Will, thank you so much for joining me on Name Drop San Diego. I wanted to begin by asking you to give, uh, you know, just sort of like an elevator version of your life story and your bio as you like to tell it okay um i was uh born and raised uh in the sacramento area uh so i've uh, lived in california most of my life um i got a bachelor's of science and astrophysics at ucla as, as for my undergraduate degree and then i moved to uh, tempe arizona to get my phd in physics at arizona state um, and so for a while I lived in Arizona and then I got my first job there at Mesa Community College as their first ever full-time astronomy faculty member and helped get their astronomy program up and running. And then we wanted to move back to California. So I was lucky enough to get a job at San Diego City College where I've been a full-time professor of physics and astronomy since 2007. That is so cool. Um, yeah, it is a community college professor is one of the best jobs ever. Don't let anyone tell you any different. It's a great job. Great job. Um, and, and yeah, and then I'm also uh, the resident astronomer at the Fleet Science Center. I give their planetarium shows and stuff, which is a lot of fun too. Awesome. Well, I want to ask you more about that. But first, um, I read a story about you in the UT that said you got into astronomy because of Star Trek. Would you explain? All right. <laughs> that is 100% absolutely true. So um, I have an older brother and sister. And when I was little, as the story goes, uh, my brother used to do the Vulcan mind melt to me in the crib and stuff like that. Um, but I remember watching Star Trek as a little girl. And then at one point looking up the planet Vulcan in the encyclopedia and not finding it. There's some Roman god of the forge or something like that named Vulcan, but there was no planet there. And so as a little kid, um, I realized that space travel to other planets and other galaxies wasn't real um, uh, after I thought it was, which was really kind of disappointing, but it made me more interested in space itself. And then my sister took me to see Star Wars when it came out. And so my life has sort of lived in space uh, ever since I was a little kid. My imagination was in space. And so very early on, I decided I wanted to learn more about what was out there. I love it. I mean, are you still interested in space travel, aliens? I feel like we're hearing more about that, you know, recently, more so than any other time in my life, at least. You know, um, I am very interested in all aspects of space and anything that would allow us to understand it more. Um, aliens, you know, uh, for me and my colleagues who have spent a lot of time looking up at the sky, we haven't seen evidence of any. And astronomers talk, like if we ever found evidence of aliens out there, um, Astro Twitter is active and loud. And so uh, you would know it <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't be able to keep it quiet. Um, and 
space travel would be exciting. Um, it's not feasible right now on any sense of a large scale. So I'm happy to have robotic exploration of the solar system doing it for me. Sounds good. That's disappointing about aliens though. <laughs> well, I'm not saying they're not out there. I mean, even if there was just one planet with life, like the earth, one planet with life per galaxy, there's millions of galaxies. So the universe could be teeming with life, but the size scales are so big, it would just be hard to ever be in contact. That's the bummer. Okay, so as you said, you are a professor of astronomy and physics. Um, why both, you know, and how do those subjects complement each other? Oh, so that's a really interesting question because sometimes we think of astronomy and astrophysics being very different things, but um, as a college major right now, uh, astronomy is pretty much a physics degree with astronomy courses added in as your area of specialty. Um, so physics is really the foundation of astronomy. And um, so uh, lots of times you'll find astronomy hidden in physics departments. And so when I got my PhD, I actually have a PhD in physics, but my, I specialized in astrophysics and I love teaching both. I really do. Um, I usually teach physics for the pre-meds. And there's such a great group of students to teach because they're hungry and they want to learn, but they don't understand why they're forced to take physics to begin with. So there's kind of this like, I got to get you interested in physics and I got to show you why it's relevant. And that's like a really fun, uh, it's really fun to try to hook them. And then astronomy, you know, I show people pretty pictures and explain them and I get great questions, whether or not they're five years old or 50 years old, you know, great questions. So it's just a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Are there astronomical mysteries out there or questions that you're particularly interested in? Oh, there's so many still because so often when, uh, like in most scientific endeavors, every time you get an answer to something, it unlocks two more questions, right? So my area of research was on the stuff in between the stars, what we call the interstellar medium. And we understand some basic properties of it, but not all of it. And we, and there's still so much we need to know about it because um, it affects the light that passes through it. And so for us to understand the stars or the galaxies that are far away from us, we have to understand the material in between us so that we can understand their light. And so it's a, the, there is a filter through which we see the universe. It's not just our atmosphere, it's the stuff in between the objects out there and it's a uh, it's also a lot of pretty pictures <laughs> that sounds so poetic what you just said like honestly <laughs> well thank you <laughs> i try it's that whole trying to hook people thing that's right. you know because it is beautiful and under understanding it doesn't make it less beautiful so, so how do you go about getting people hooked? I mean, like you said, it seems to me, it's probably pretty easy that these beautiful pictures, you know, just learning more about the universe we live in, but what are some of the tactics you use? So that is a great question. And we are lucky enough that uh, a percentage of NASA's budget for every mission goes towards uh, education and public outreach. Uh, these pretty pictures are paid for by you and it's your, your, your right to see them and to understand them. Um, and so uh, one of the things that astronomy has going for it, which is a little harder in physics, um, is that a lot of astronomy has uh, integrated with pop culture and social understanding. Uh, one of the places where that intersects with physics is black holes, right? 
Um, so you hook people with those kinds of topics, black holes, and then the pretty pictures in astronomy to make people ask like, okay, what is that? And as soon as you have them asking, what is that on their own, um, then you can get them uh, a little bit more knowledge. You know, they, they will not come away from a talk as an expert, but, you know, <laughs> but they'll, they will uh, have had some curiosity satisfied. Um, so I like to go to places where non-scientists can get their questions answered. Love it. Well, you're good at explaining it. I feel like that's sometimes the difficulty for non-scientists like myself is, you know, understanding it or following it when you don't have the expertise or even the vocabulary necessarily. Um, so can you tell me more about uh, the planetarium at Fleet Science Center and what goes on there? All right, uh, so uh, there is the Highcock Dome Theater at the Fleet Science Center, which many people in San Diego County think of as the IMAX theater. And they just they just got an IMAX upgrade, new projector, oh, nice. just opened up, just awesome. opened up. Um, and so, uh, but that the reason why that IMAX theater is a dome shape is because it's a planetarium. And that's what it started off as. That's why that road in Balboa Park is called Space Theater Way. Um, and so the first Wednesday night of every month, we do um, the Sky Tonight Planetarium shows. Uh, uh, for most of the last couple of years, we've been online and we're doing one more online show uh, this November. But back the first week of December, we will be back in the planetarium doing two shows. And we uh, give you a tour of what's up in the sky tonight. And then we specialize to a different topic every month. Um, and then the wonderful people of the San Diego Astronomy Association often set up their telescopes when the weather is permitting outside so that after the show, after you see what's up in the sky on the dome, you can go appreciate it through their telescopes. That is so cool. Are there, um, I was wondering, are there like best places to live to, you know, see what's out there or is it all just you know, kind of equal? Uh, it is definitely not equal. Um, so here in the American Southwest, we are pretty lucky because there are big gaps in between the cities. And so if you drive from San Diego on Interstate 8 going east, you don't have to go very far to get to some nice dark skies. In fact, Julian and Borrego Springs are both International Dark Sky Association designated dark sky regions. Um, they have made uh, adaptations to their light fixtures so that they are not polluting the sky with as much light. Um, here in San Diego metropolitan area, uh, we have light pollution, which is makes seeing the stars difficult and seeing fainter objects difficult. We also have the marine layer, which sometimes is actually more of a battle. If you have no marine layer and you're at the beach looking west, you've got a beautiful dark sky. Hmm. And um, uh, several years ago, there was a, um, a power outage that took out the power to most of Southern California, all the way over to Arizona. And I had students emailing me the next day going, Dr. Will, I never knew the sky could look like that because they could see so much more. Uh, the, the starlight and the, um, the moon were enough to see by outside. And so um, most people do not live under a truly dark sky and most people have not seen a truly dark sky yeah that is so amazing i read about that des designation and julian i still haven't been out there but it's uh it's on the list isn't yeah. there isn't there an observatory out in like mount laguna is it or are those oh, San yeah yeah san diego state's astronomy department has an observatory out at mount laguna um, uh, Palomar Observatory up on Mount Palomar is run by Caltech, and it is a historically important observatory. 
Um, there also is a site that the San Diego Astronomy Association works out works out of towards uh, Mount Laguna as well. So. Um, one of the things about Southern California is that uh, for a lot of the year it's dry and dry weather is important uh, for good astronomical viewing. Uh, what you see is twinkling of stars is actually starlight um, getting affected by our atmosphere. And so the less humidity, the steadier it is. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of historically important observatories here in Southern California, including Mount Wilson up uh, in the uh, mountains above Pasadena, the San, the, the San Gabriel Mountains up above Pasadena. Um, but it's been getting harder and harder over the years because of the light pollution in Los Angeles and San Diego. Um, but there's still uh, world-class professional observing going on as well as great spots for amateur astronomy. Awesome. Yeah, that really does seem like a, a wealth of, of options, definitely compared to anywhere else I've looked. Um, yeah. Okay, I have a lightning round for you, kind of random questions, but the first one is, uh, what was your favorite toy growing up? What was my favorite? Legos. Oh yeah, still a good Legos. answer, right? I still buy Legos sometimes. There's a lot of Legos in my home right now. <laughs> nice. So do you still build them or are they for? You know, me and my husband, we, we do our time with some Star Wars Legos. <laughs> okay, nice. What have you built recently? Oh, goodness. What is one of the last things we've built? We have um, Captain Rex's crawler from Star Wars Rebels. That was a great oh, build. That seems complicated. I got a that lucky. A, yeah. 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 That was a complicated one. It was fun. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. I got a lucky cat recently, like the Aww. Asian lucky cat. It's so yeah. cute. And uh, I have a niece and I always buy her sets and I'm like way more into it Ooh. than she is. But anyway, that's fine. It's still an excuse. Yes. We still spend time together doing it. Yes. Um, okay, what is something that you're very into that has nothing to do with your day job? You know, it's, it's funny, it's hard to disconnect with my day job in many ways, because I do feel like astronomy intertwines with so many parts of my life. I am really into Comic-Con um, and uh, the Star Wars animated series, like Rebels in particular, um, Doctor Who. Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm such a hardcore nerd and it's really hard <laughs> to separate that from my day job because it's what got me into my day job. Gotcha. Yeah, that's cool. Um, are you going to Comic-Con this? Is it, it's like next, it's this month. Is it this month? It's yeah, Comic-Con yeah, Comic <laughs> special edition is happening over Thanksgiving weekend and I am on two panels. Nice. Um, I can't say the times because at the time of this recording, the time and dates are still embargoed, but I can say the names of the panels. Um, science of Star Wars. <laughs> what a surprise for me, right? <laughs> and um, the science uh, or really probably the lack thereof, the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> wow. What are yeah. you going to talk about? What do you have to say about that? I actually really enjoyed watching the physics in those movies, um, watching, well, the magnets were hilarious in the final one, but, um, and the going into space with a car. Mm. Yeah, that mm. was interesting. But um, the physics of the cars and the trajectories that they took, uh, some of it was really interesting to watch. It really was. So we'll be talking a bit about that. And um, there will be other specialists in other fields, like a physiologist and biologist and chemists and stuff like that, talking about their expertise for these fields. That is so cool to be able to apply your expertise to like pop culture, essentially, and uh, really yeah. interpret, you know, what we're seeing. It is. The and the 
and the fun thing is, is that having that connection with a crowd um, in a place like that gives them a chance to hear scientists talk um, that isn't clinical, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem dry or abstract or esoteric or above them. We're just all nerds talking about something we're interested in. I think it's really important for scientists to make that connection with the public. Are there, well, speaking of, are there movies that you think are really well done about space, about physics, just about sort of your line of work? Um, if I said no, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it, <laughs> I want to know the worst offenders then. <laughs> okay, so I remember... <laughs> Okay, so there's some movies that I've never been allowed to see because uh, like Total Recall, I was told I couldn't see because I'd probably get too upset while watching it. You know, um, The Martian did a good job overall um, after the opening because the winds on Mars are not going to be that strong because the atmosphere isn't that thick. So you can have high winds, but there's not a lot of air to push around. But once that precipitating event was done with, then it was actually pretty decent after mm. after that. Um but yeah, don't get me talking about Deep Impact or Armageddon or stuff like that. It'll just <laughs> be a very long rant. Well, okay. I, we don't have to go way into it, but like, what's like a major misconception that you see all the time and you're like, that's not how that would work. So um, uh, Newton's first law of motion says an object will remain in motion unless acted upon by, uh, will will basically remain in its current state of motion or at rest unless uh, acted upon by a force. And so you see lots of times that like, are we going to run out of fuel? You know, do we have enough fuel to get there? It's like, you just hit that jet once and coast, (laughs) you know, it's, it's so that's one of the big offenders, unless you're actually in a within an atmosphere or a planet's uh, gravitational pull. And if you're out in the middle of space, you just hit one little thruster and you're just going to go and you're going <laughs> to keep going. And so anytime there's tension based on fuel, half the time, it's like, yeah, you just, you lost me. You lost yeah. Me. It's so much less dramatic if you can't run out of fuel, you know, <laughs> you know, um, running out of air, oh, always okay. a safe thing to talk about right but running out of fuel there's probably ways you can get around it in lots of deep space uh options you might not get where you want to go as fast but no you get there so do you um always participate in comic-con um not always um I, i i feel lucky when i get on a panel there um but i i always go i always attend do you dress up no um Although I have once given a talk, uh, a Star Wars talk dressed up in full Jedi robes, nice, which felt amazing. You feel really powerful in Jedi robes, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but I, I don't dress up. I feel like uh, July when it Comic Con typically is this too hot, and I really have a lot of respect for cosplayers who do it all uh, at, during the summer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's actually a great point I hadn't thought of. In fact, that was the first question I want to ask you because I imagine you would be good at cosplay. Did you dress up for Halloween this past weekend? No, no, I don't. I actually feel like Comic-Con has set such a high standard for me that I'm like, I can't do that good on Halloween. Um, (laughs) I I have done costuming during the day or or during my life, but uh, cosplaying is something I've done less and less and I just enjoy the people who do it really well. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm not Agreed. good at it. <laughs> I'm not, I, I agree, but I really do. It's an art, you know? It is um, an art. Okay. Do you have a phobia? Wow. Do I have a phobia? 
That's or just, you know, something that bothers you. And I don't know, it doesn't, you know, it has, it doesn't have to be diagnosed. <laughs> well, you know, I've always been scared of flying, even though I understand the physics of it, but I think that's more because I'm a control freak. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, I, I find it, I find that, uh, easier than I used to, but still I'm glad when we land safely. Gotcha. So have you, you've kind of worked on it and overcome it a little bit? Yes. Yeah. But gotcha. it took a while. Yeah, no, I understand that it is frightening and definitely the control freak part. I understand that yeah. too. Yeah. I'm actually, I have it a uh, easier time if I have the window seat and can look out. Cause then suddenly there's a planet below me to study and that makes it easier uh, for me. Uh-huh. Totally makes sense. I'm also a window seat person. <laughs> Um, let's see, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? So when I was an undergrad, one of, when I was frustrated with how I was doing, cause I did not find college always easy. Um, I was doing research with a grad student and his advisor gave me a great piece of, uh, just, he just gave me a great piece of wisdom, which is, um, people always feel like they understand best what they just left behind it, it reminds you that it's okay to feel like you're struggling where you are um and so that uh, that really helped me going forward not just into my studies but it's i think it's a pretty good idea to keep in mind every day like it's okay to feel like you're struggling now um the the, the past might seem easier but that's because you're, you're you're an expert at it looking back now but uh it's okay to struggle. Yeah, what did you struggle with in, in school? Was it like being unsure of your studies? Um, so I was the valedictorian of my high school and then I got to UCLA and everyone was the valedictorian of their high school. And then I found out my high school wasn't very good. I mean, that sounds weird, right? But um, when you're, when you're put into such a competitive world where everybody is smart and I was used to getting straight A's easily. And let me tell you, I did not get straight A's in college. Um, I did, I got my fair share of C's. I got a couple of D's. There's a couple of classes I had to take over again. Um, I was a first generation college student. Um, so uh, I, I was not prepared for college. And so I moved away from home at 17, moved into the dorms at UCLA and was just like, wow, I am a little out of my depth, uh, but I'm stubborn. So I kept going and I got there, but it was not easy. I think that's so inspiring though, to share struggles like that, especially because look at you now, you have a PhD, you're a professor, you're like, you know, a full-time, your words, not mine, but like nerd, <laughs> you get yeah, to do yes. it, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so like, it, it's helpful to know that people have been through difficult things and have really, you know, tr triumphed. Yeah. And, and I, I share that with my students. I, I'm very open with my students about the fact that I was not a straight A student. I think a lot of times we, um, we have as a society, we tend to think that things should come easy to us, uh, at least intellectual or academic or career endeavors somehow. Um, I, I always remind my students that if they went to the gym and they felt like they struggled, but, you know, had a good workout and were tired after they'd be proud of themselves. But if they, if they feel like they're struggling and are exhausted after a homework set, they feel like there's something's wrong with them. And so we have to do a lot of coaching and mindset. And it's like, of course, you're not an expert at this. This is the first time you've tried it. And so it's okay. You have to not be so hard on yourself. And uh, that, that actually is one of the challenges is, um, 
um, a lot of people think things that don't come easy to them means that they're not cut out for it. And, and that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. I read something like that recently. That's like, you know, that shouldn't be the the threshold or it shouldn't be the deci deciding factor is if we're good at it. Like if you like drawing and you're not very good at drawing, if, who cares? You know, it's like every, you don't have to capitalize everything. You don't have to sell it. You don't even have to share it if you don't want to, but if you enjoy doing it, you know, you should do it. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I struggle with that too. So I, I understand. I think we all struggle with that. Yeah. Um, let's see. What is... Uh, what is, actually, I wanted to ask you about, um, I read in that same UT article that when you first wanted to get into science, you asked a teacher to write you a letter of recommendation. And that person said, women don't go into science or girls don't go into science. I mean, have you struggled with that throughout your career? Uh, yes, that was my uh, high school physics teacher um, who said that to me at the time when it was, when we were trying to write letter, to, you know, get our college applications together. Um, that was just, how should I put it? I didn't find it discouraging. Um, cause I'm, like I said, I'm stubborn. And when I get called stubborn, I find it a compliment, not an insult, which probably says a lot about me and maybe not something good, but, um, that's the way it is. Um, there have been times when I think I have been told to give up earlier than maybe a man would have been in my case. Um, that first C I got my first semester of college at UC, my first quarter, excuse me, of college at UCLA, um, I got a C in my first calculus class. And when I went to the counselor to set up uh, my classes for winter quarter, they said, well, maybe you're not cut out to be an astrophysics major. And like I said, if I wasn't stubborn, what, what would that have done? to somebody else and i don't think the uh like i said i don't think a man in that same position would have been told the same thing um so i have uh found that happen a couple times and i just kind of power through it but you always have to think of the people who didn't right do you think STEM has gotten better for, um, you know, girls and women? I think I, you know, it's like, I hear about campaigns all the time. You know, we hear about camps and, and reasons why girls should do it, but is it actually happening in the field? Um, I'm going to say it's hard to see evidence of it. Uh, the number of uh, physics PhDs to women have remained roughly the same. Um, for decades, it hovers at about 20 to 25% of PhDs go to women. Um, when you factor in um, other uh, minoritized populations, um, the numbers uh, have been not improving as much as you would like. And I participate in these campaigns. You know, I, I give talks to the summer camps for young women and, and you wanna bring them in because the career opportunities are good. The unemployment rates are low, the salaries are high, and you want to make sure that everybody, that um, oh, white women and people of color have the opportunity to ha ha enjoy these roles as anyone else does. And we do not see, uh, let's just say you don't see as many efforts towards retention as you do getting people into the field. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is disheartening. Um, 
one of the reasons why I like being a community college instructor is because I can have high school students and I can have senior citizens and everyone can still come into the field whenever they want. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is disheartening the lack of progress. I'm not saying none has been made, but it, it is not where you would want it to be. I mean, is the culture okay for women and minorities when you get into the job? You know, we hear this with tech. It's like, well, sure, you can get a tech job, but once you're there, it might be really difficult to get by. Well, I think taking a look the last year and a half with the way COVID um, hit um, women um, who are expected to be in caregiver roles differently than men. Um, the expectations were like, suddenly like men should be able to put out a lot more scientific papers since they're going to be home without any distractions. And yet you saw women leaving the field because they had to homeschool the kids. They like this, this past year, I think was, and you might think that it is a isolated, like, hopefully there isn't a worldwide pandemic every year but it just made it magnified the problems that were already there and so you know um, i'm old enough that you know some of the professors who were on my committee uh, their wives typed their dissertations for them you wow. know like stuff like that yeah i i can assure you my husband did not type set my <laughs> dissertation for me nor do nor do I write his books for him. So we're, we're you know we keep that separate. But um, yeah, and and so those problems are still there. But there those sorts of problems are not um, systemic only to STEM fields, right? They're they're societal at large. But because so many STEM fields have had low populations of women to begin with, I think it does get magnified there. It's easier to see there. Sure. Um, I guess we're running up against the clock, but oh, well, what kind of books does your husband write? You just mentioned. Oh, um, my husband um, is a science fiction and fantasy writer. Uh, he's written for adults, but he mostly writes for middle grade. Um, in fact, uh, last week he was awarded the, the California Independent Booksellers Association. I think they're called uh, the, the Golden Poppy Award for the best middle grade book last year. And by a California writer. So, wow, that is awesome. He should yes. come on name drop too. And you guys are like a science dream team, obviously. We, <laughs> we, okay. We met at UCL at UCLA science fiction and fantasy club. Not going to lie. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Did you have some sort of themed wedding? <laughs> no, we did not. Okay. We, we did not, but that's only because we basically just, you know, went to the county administration building downtown and got married, just the two of us. We didn't even invite anyone, but that, we're weird like that. Also a good way to do it. It's your wedding. We're, we're very low key. Uh huh. Um, well, awesome. Well, um, Lisa, thank you so much. I guess my last question for you is just, um, you know, you do so much, you've done so much. Um, you know, is there anything else in your career that you you hope to do? Wow, that's a, that is an interesting question because I feel very lucky. Um, I get to use a planetarium at the Fleet Science Center. I teach astronomy in a planetarium at City College. Like I have access to two planetaria. That's like awesome. <laughs> I get to work with wonderful people and work with wonderful, wonderful students. Um, maybe I'd like to write the perfect physics textbook someday and distribute it for free. Who knows? But for the most part, I feel really lucky in my situation right now. I, I feel like community college professors, a great career. 
studying the universe was a great choice. I, I really don't have many regrets. Thank you, Dr. Will, for joining me. And thank you for listening to Name Drop San Diego. I'm your host, Christy Totten, and we'll be back next week.